We know you're fascinated by true crime. But how often do you get to hear from the survivors in their own words? I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. We're the host of Strictly Stalking, the true crime podcast that explores the devastating crime of stalking. Every week, our guests reveal the true terror they're facing at the hands of a stalker. And the steps they take to fight back. We're uncovering the real stories you think you've heard, from Tara Newell surviving Dirty John to others you won't hear anywhere else. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, Strictly Stalking, from Cast Media, wherever you listen to podcasts. Rescuers are an integral part to the preservation of animals. After all, without them, countless animals would not be alive. So we believe in our rescuers, and we believe that they're protectors, that they are morally upright people, and many of them are. But there are a few who do not embody these qualities. Some are wicked to the core, using rescuing as a covert way to abuse animals and potentially gain profit. I'm your host Hepburn and you're listening to the Voiceless Speak Forever podcast a true crime podcast dedicated to exposing the many misdeeds and abuses done to animals. And every week, I'll be covering a new animal abuse case. Today, we'll be covering part one of the case of Christine Corson, the owner of Little Miracle Rabbit Rescue, who was a rabbit hoarder and a presumed swindler. Much of this story will feature direct accounts from people who had come into contact with Chris Corson in one way or another. Their words are enough to convey to you what happened at Little Miracle Rabbit Rescue. Christine Corson started Little Miracle Rabbit Rescue in 2000 in Voorhees, New Jersey. Like anyone new to something, she reached out to someone more seasoned to guide her. And luckily for her, She found an experienced rabbit rescuer who was more than happy to assist her. Her and other interviews will be interspersed with commentary. Chris Corson contacted me and said she wanted to start a rabbit rescue. Through many emails and phone conversations, I told her what she needed to do. Told her she needed to have a vet to spay and neuter. Told her to screen potential adopters how to check vet references of potential adopters, sent her a generic adoption application and adoption contract so she could use them, told her what to look for in adopters, and told her about home visits to see where a bunny would be living. Of course, that was pre-COVID, when you could do home visits. Told her how to follow up with adopters to make sure everything was going well. Told her what I supply to new owners when they adopt so they would have proper food and place to keep a rabbit. For example, playpen, bowls, lure box, hay, and pellets. And I told her she could contact me with any questions she had. But what seemed like a promising start soon turned dark. Maybe this was foreshadowed by the fact that she registered Little Miracles as an animal artificial insemination business instead of a rescue. In other words, she wanted to be a breeder, but when that didn't work out, she decided to turn Little Miracles to a rescue. By the time she converted to rescuing, it was possible that she realized she could make money off of these rabbits and would need more bunnies to do it. This would, at least, 
explain the inexplicable reason why she kept getting more and more rabbits. Everything was fine for a few months until she started taking in more and more rabbits with no place to keep them. Some time passed and I get an email from her saying she couldn't afford to have bunnies spayed and neutered and they were breeding and she had no way to stop it from happening. She said she was keeping the bunnies in a shed and that's where they were breeding because she didn't separate them. She didn't have the space. She didn't have the pens and or cages to keep them in. They were just loose in her shed. Next email to me. She was in a panic. She said that there were rats in the shed, in the shed she kept the bunnies in, and she didn't know what to do about them. I told her she needed to stop taking bunnies in, try to find fosters so she could get bunnies out of the shed and stop the breeding. She never did. As you heard, Chris didn't take this expert rescuer's advice. She didn't improve the condition that the buns were in. Instead, she chose to focus her time on getting more donations. The ironic thing is, she had a wonderful webpage that made her look like she was an angel for all the bunnies she saved from terrible circumstances. Even more ironic thing was seeing all the posts from her on her webpage. She was constantly doing fundraising and wanted money for, are you ready for this? A new home, new appliances, and furniture for the shelter she wanted for the rabbits. As I remember, she wanted tens of thousands of dollars for her new place. And Chris even went so far as to praise herself. I followed her on her webpage and Facebook page to see what she was doing. She constantly praised herself for all the work she was doing and attacked anyone that said anything she didn't like. By this time, articles started appearing in newspapers about the complaints about her. People called the SPCA on her, which only fueled her hatred of anyone that dared to speak out against her. She said they were all lies. There's a forum discussing whether they were lies or not. Some saying that there are two sides to every story and that little miracles mustn't have been that bad. After all, if the SPCA was caught in but did nothing, then everything mustn't be as bad as people are saying. But here's the thing. The New Jersey SPCA didn't do anything to stop Chris because they didn't know how to do their job well. Because in 2018, former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, signed a bill disbanding the NJSPCA. Not only had the NJSPCA not been filing their tax returns, but they had a backlog of uninvestigated animal cruelty cases too. The NJSPCA was so inadequate that the bill to dissolve it actually passed both the Senate and Assembly almost unanimously, something that is so rare to see in the United States today. Additionally, the laws to protect animals in New Jersey are fairly weak, so the fact that NJSPCA, who had enforcement power before the dissolution, not doing anything isn't that much of a surprise. In fact, if you listen to a segment of the interview I did with the rescuer, they point out how especially weak laws are regarding rescues. Rescues are not like township shelters. Shelters have inspections and have to abide by the laws of the county or state that they are in. Rescues have to answer to no government agency. 
So we try to police ourselves. If we see or know of something wrong with a rescue, we try to do something about it. I've called the SPCA on a few rescues who, over the years, ended up being nothing more than hoarders. So as I said, we police ourselves. So the logic that the defenders have put out there about how if Little Miracles was so bad, law enforcement would have done something about it doesn't hold water. Furthermore, some commenters posited that these complaints might be coming from disgruntled volunteers or rival rabbit rescues. Here is a rebuttal of these claims from someone who saw the harsh, abusive environment at Little Miracles firsthand. Our rescue, Little Furry's Rescue, has no interest in opening a shelter. We do not feel that Little Miracles or this person is reputable. So no, we do not have any competitive or jealousy issues at all. It's just really hard to feel that the bunnies who have suffered have gotten any closure when everyone, including the one person who was supposed to be there for them, won't even acknowledge them or what she has done to them. The issue was so bad that this same rescue had to go onto another platform with an open letter pleading for other legit rescues to help the rabbits at Little Miracles. To whom it may concern, I work in rabbit rescue in New Jersey. It is my sincerest hope that this email finally falls into the right hands, into hands that have enough compassion to read this email and want to help the ones who are suffering from injustice. In advance, I apologize for the length of this email, but I think it is very important that my story be told in light of recent situation. Some years ago in New Jersey, a girl who called herself Chris Corson, director of Little Miracles Rabbit Rescue, then based out of Voorhees, New Jersey, in her parents' home, contacted me for help. She had told me that she had to temporarily go to Florida and asked me to take in several of her rabbits. When I took the rabbits in, I was not prepared for the condition they came to me in. All of the rabbits she brought to me had a massive amount of fleas, were too thin, and were sneezing and obviously ill. Their bottoms and feet were raw and filthy as well. A few weeks later, I received an email from several people asking me if I could take more rabbits from the Corson home because there were several complaints from different people and the condition of the rabbits that were coming out of the Corson home. There were also complaints that Ms. Corson was taking donations allegedly to pay for the care of those rabbits. But none of the rabbits were being cared for or receiving any medical attention whatsoever. Many people had called their local animal control, and nothing was done about it because the local animal control did not at the time facilitate small animals. So, when nothing was done, I decided to step in and see what I could do. Chris Corson had left for Florida and not returned, leaving the rabbits in the care of her parents. Myself and a volunteer of mine both established a sort of friendship with Chris's mom so she would give us access to the rabbits. Unfortunately, we were never able to take pictures because Chris's mom never let us out of her sight for even a moment. But what we saw was appalling. There were literally over 350 rabbits on the Corson property. Each room that contained rabbits were very small cages stacked from the floor almost to the ceiling full of rabbits. There was a shed with a broken air conditioner 
that housed so many rabbits, you couldn't get more than a foot inside the door. Every day we went to remove rabbits and transport them to other rescues and foster homes, clean cages, and try to treat sick rabbits. Each cage had a litter pan that was filled with what looked like black dirt but was feces, and the litter pan itself was chewed down to just a flat bottom because the rabbits were never out of their tiny cages, so they were extremely bored. The fleas in the home itself were so bad that a volunteer and I had to wear long clothing in the middle of summer to keep them from covering our legs and arms with bites. The rabbits we removed from there had a variety of problems. Severe head tilts from ear infections gone untreated, urine sludge from improper diet, sore hawks, lethargy from fleas, and the most common problem, sneezing blood. Animal control did show up to the Corson home in the middle of us removing the rabbits once, took pictures, and left. But since they didn't get a warrant, Chris had told her mother to only give them access to a few of the rooms that she kept rabbits in. Since the rabbits were all hidden behind closed doors, and I believe the room that held the sickest rabbits was even locked, the animal control officer had no idea how many rabbits there really were, not to mention the fact that he had come the day before and was denied access. So he told Chris Corson's parents that he would be back the following day to see the rabbits. So, they had 24 hours notice. After the officer's investigation, he advised Chris's parents that once the other rescues involved took all of the rabbits, or most, to not take any more rabbits. Because as a rescue, our primary goal to rescue and help the rabbits we rescued, the investigation aspect of it fell to the wayside. I was horrified when I heard that Chris Corson had started calling herself Christy Corson and was rescuing rabbits and other animals, full force in the state of Florida now. Through networks, I started hearing more and more stories of how she was not caring for the rabbits, and how she was collecting donations, but the money was not accounted for, and animals were once again not getting the medical care they needed. It is even more shocking to learn that Christy Corson is an officer of the law, but she is often seen on message boards using her influence as an officer to intimidate people who complain about the lack of care the animals are receiving and the way she is spending money she raises as donations. She brags about her position with the Charlotte County Sheriff's Office in Florida anytime trouble comes her way. Besides that, when she was in New Jersey, she claimed to have her 501c3 nonprofit status with the IRS when in fact she never did. Recently, I sent out several requests for the Charlotte County Sheriff's Department to look into the deputy Christy Corson's rescue and in turn did not receive a return email. Instead, all I received is direct threats from Miss Corson herself for, quote, ratting her out to her boss. And I was told that her boss told her just to be more careful in the future. Even though there are many witness accounts from now and back when she lived in New Jersey, documentations, and even videos and pictures that prove that Christy is still neglecting the animals in her care. Nothing is being done to help the animals who are suffering. We were told that the local animal control would not do an investigation because Ms. Corson is a police officer. I can personally provide many, many names and other information from other bystanders as well. 
If you do research on animal hoarding and the collecting of animals to make a profit, you will see that many of the cases involve high-profile people, people who have earned respect in the community. They are usually smart and very manipulative. So I beg of you now, for the animals that have already suffered, the ones that are suffering now, and the ones who will if something is not done, and the people who have been victimized by this woman, please, Tell me what can be done for them to stop this once and for all. Consider this. What if it were your pet you had to turn over to this rescue? What if it were your hard-earned money being spent improperly? So I know what you're thinking. Aside from this being truly a really long message, how can we trust this person's observations, statements, and experiences with little miracles? They really could just be slandering little miracles, but I do trust it because I've spoken to a few people who did in fact have contact with Chris and little miracles, and I believe their statements about her and the way she ran her rescue. These people I interviewed are reputable. They are rescuers and or volunteers, and one who will be more prominently featured on next week's episode is a witness who worked with Chris and played major roles at Little Miracles, New Jersey. And much of what she stated mirrored what this person has said. In any case, there's a lot to unpack in this message. Here are some of the key takeaways I took from her letter. First, Chris Corson's change from Chris to Christy suggested that she knew what she was doing in regards to the rabbits was wrong and needed the new alias of Christy to distance herself from the actions of Chris in New Jersey, who was hoarding rabbits and apparently misappropriating funds, even though Christy in Florida would end up being accused of the same things. Additionally, the transition from Chris to Christy might have also served as a way for her to be less findable under people who knew her in New Jersey. Second, it stated that Little Miracles was not actually a nonprofit. However, at this point in time, because Little Miracles is now defunct, it's hard to verify this statement, but hopefully we will get a little more insight on this matter in the second episode from an interview I conducted with a former volunteer at Little Miracles. Third, Chris did not have an issue abusing her power as an officer of the law, using it as a scare tactic to silence those who disapproved of her negligent and abusive actions toward the rabbits. And finally, she was able to get away with animal hoarding and negligence for so long because of the blue wall of silence. She possibly knew that the code of officers not ratting out other officers would most likely protect her. Therefore, it was possible she felt impervious and entitled to impunity. As a result of her hoarding and egotistical nature, so many buns suffered because she could not take care of all of them. Another rescue, a legit rescue aside from little furries, had to take in 15 of her rabbits. All of the 15 rabbits arrived with mild to serious health issues, were severely underweight, and were malnourished. These bunnies were also severely depressed. The five volunteers who helped this person were so overcome with sorrow for the buns that they cried quietly as they tended to the rabbits. One rabbit died the next day because of malocclusion or due to the rabbit's upper and lower teeth being misaligned. 
misalignment is very dangerous for rabbits because it makes it very difficult for them to eat the hay and other food needed to grind down their teeth that are always growing, which leads to overgrowth of the top and bottom teeth, a very dangerous situation that can lead to jaw infection. When a bunny can't eat comfortably, they will eventually stop eating altogether. And if rabbits stop eating for even a day or two, they will begin losing weight, develop a digestive disorder, and become very sick. Obviously, this can all lead to death. And this was what happened to this poor rabbit. Had she been given the proper treatment of regular vet visits and teeth trimmings, she most likely would have survived. She didn't have to live such a painful life, but she did because of Chris's blatant disregard for the health of the rabbits. Because of the overwhelming number of rabbits who needed help, the same rescue contacted a shelter as far away as Delaware to rehome 30 rabbits. It was reported by this person that at least seven volunteers of Little Miracles Rabbit Rescue said that the rabbit death rate there was very high. As you heard, the complaints continued to build up against her, so she decided to move to North Point, Florida. In 2003, she and her family packed up their bags and fled. In North Point, Florida, the cycle of hoarding, maltreating bunnies, and alleged scamming continued. An ex-volunteer of Little Miracles, who directly worked with Chris in Florida, confirmed this. This volunteer said that they weren't working for another rabbit rescue, and this person wasn't relieved of their duty by Chris. This person left on their own volition because they felt that the conditions were too horrid to continue. In fact, this person, before they became a volunteer, donated money to Little Miracles that followed Chris's Facebook page because they were impressed by the condition the Bunts were living in and the way Chris was taking care of them. When they signed up to volunteer at Little Miracles, they had every intention to help Chris take care of the rabbits. But as soon as they started volunteering there, they discovered that everything was different to what was being presented. Quote, Before I even opened the door to the rescue, I could smell the urine. Inside was a mess. The number of rabbits in the rescue building grew. Every time I went there, the conditions were the same. The rabbits lived in their own waste. The rabbits would be standing on their tippy toes, begging for food and water. Many had fleas and ear mites. Many were sick. In an attempt to help the bunnies, the volunteer continued giving money to little miracles, donating, buying food, hay, and litter. But each time they went to volunteer at the rescue, the conditions remained the same. Even when Chris was in Florida, she was still running the rescue in New Jersey with the help of her parents. I spoke to a person who first came into contact with Little Miracles New Jersey when she adopted her first rabbit from them in 2004. She would later go on to adopt two more rabbits in 2005 and 2007. Since Christy had already moved to Florida at this point, she got her rabbits from Chris's parents' home. Like their daughter, they didn't keep the rabbits in the best conditions either. Cages filled the bottom level of their split-level home, and their home smelled putrid from the inability to maintain a clean environment for the rabbits. The witness was disturbed by the conditions of the home, but she gave Christy's mom the benefit of the doubt and was sympathetic towards her. She thought, 
Perhaps the mother was just overwhelmed with so many rabbits and so could not keep up with the feeding or cleaning. And this might have been true. Maybe Chris's mom did care about the rabbits and was trying harder than her daughter to keep up appearances. Next week, we'll finish up with the inevitable downfall of Chris Corson and Little Miracle's rabbit rescue. Before we go, I want to thank the person who told me about Little Miracle's and who suggested I do a story on it. And I want to thank the people I interviewed for part one for telling us about the experience with Chris. And I want to thank the podcast Strictly Stalking for agreeing to do a little crossover promotion with VSF. VSF is a very small podcast. And to be given a mention by a much bigger podcast means the world to me. At the moment, the cross-promotion for VSF on Strictly Stalking is scheduled for April 1st. But, of course, before then, please give them a listen. And finally, I want to remind you guys that if you want to support VSF, please tell anyone about this podcast, subscribe, and if you are listening on Apple, please review. It helps with visibility and just letting people know you like the podcast. Also, if you have any stories you want me to share or you just have a story you want to share, please email me at vsf.officialpodcast at gmail.com and come visit VSF on its Instagram page, the.vsf.official. Until next Wednesday, toodles!